Hi, I'm Emma Goswell and welcome to Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. Now, we're particularly excited because on this episode, you're going to hear from Kate Muir. Yep, Kate is the journalist and TV producer who is on a mission to combat health inequality around menopause. So she's the producer of the documentary Sex, Myths and the Menopause that was hosted by Davina McCall. It came out in early summer 2021 and it was welcomed by so many of us experiencing Perry and Menno. Got everyone talking, didn't it? Well, you're going to hear about what she's up to next TV-wise and you're also going to hear all about her new book, which is out now. We'll also find out something extraordinary about orcas. Stay tuned. Uh, And it's called Everything You Need to Know About the Menopause, but we're too frightened to ask. Can't wait for you to hear all about that. Uh, First, though, of course, it's time to hear from my gang. Uh, Bina is not here for this little bit, but you will hear from her later on. Helen and Terry, how the devil are you? Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) I had quite a big week last week, actually. Oh, yeah. What happened? Spill. I had the appointment that I've been waiting for for about 10 months because, you know, I've been investigating this histamine intolerance for oh, yeah. mm-hmm. quite a long time. And I'd booked an appointment with someone who's a specialist in this area. And I know what's wrong with me after five years of searching oh my gosh, and suffering. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, my God. Finally, an answer to the question we've all been waiting for. What on earth is wrong with Helen? Is Go it on. histamine intolerance? Funnily enough, I do have histamine intolerance. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I know. I know. Do you know what? Actually, there is a big relief, though. It's like, thank God. I mean, and like Bina keeps saying, I, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. But I do have histamine intolerance because I do have something called mast cell activation syndrome. It's a genetic immune condition. OK, and I have had it my whole life. But there is a, a hormone thing with this. It, it is related to my hormones because I'm very estrogen sensitive. And so... Mm-hmm. I am still in the gang because histamine intolerance can flare, massively flare up at perimenopause. And it's also, I need, I'm going to need to be quite careful when I do take HRT because, and I've mentioned before about histamine intolerance, that if you become estrogen dominant, then that increases the histamine. And then if you have too much histamine, that then increases the estrogen. So it's a vicious cycle. So the interesting thing that she told me about this, though, was that 17% of people have histamine intolerance. So I'm going to keep on banging this drum because there, there are a lot of people going through menopause and perimenopause who have histamine intolerance. And they, this doctor was saying that you need to be careful with how you manage HRT. When you, when you say 17%, do you mean like 17% of women or, or general population? 17% of the population. Right. And the vast majority of people don't know that they've got it. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a figure that, isn't it? Wow, yeah. And how did she find all this out then? Was it a load of blood tests or how? Well, no, it's through a range of symptoms that I've had down the years that I was able to tell her about. And then also a bit of family history as well. The fact that there are other members of my family that get certain symptoms. It wasn't even a question in her mind. Straight away, she was like, you've got mast cell activation syndrome. And I was like, oh. I mean, clearly, I'd rather not have a genetic immune condition. But at the Mm. same time, last week, I mainly just felt relief and also, you know, because I have been on the right track. I have been doing my research. I have been doing the right things. And like Bina keeps saying, I'm not mad. And we have a plan and there's some medication that I can take that will help on top of all the stuff that I've been doing already. She's written to my doctor. And it's just, you know, it's just that relief of just being taken seriously with someone who knows what they're doing. Oh, honestly, it's indescribable that, especially after the horrible experiences that I've talked about before where... You know, I've had GPs telling me that I had health anxiety, you know. Um, there are things that I can do. But that's good. So you're going to start taking the medication. So, you know, maybe if we catch up in a few weeks, you might have had some, you might have seen some benefits. It's a bit longer term than that. I mean, but I'm, going to mm. take, I'm going to take this new medication for three cycles. Because basically what I was saying was I can push it with my diet a bit more at certain times of my, of my cycle. But then there are other times in my cycle when I'm estrogen dominant where I can have like the tiniest thing and I, I come out with symptoms and that's the estrogen reacting with me, you see. So she said, well, mm-hmm. try this medication over three cycles and see if that helps. There are further tests that I could take, but, you know, that, that costs more money. And, I, uh, you know, she certainly wasn't trying to push me into anything and was very, very clear about how much all that would cost. So basically at the moment, it's like 
I'm trying this for three months. We're going to meet up in three or four months' time and see see how it goes, and then I'm I'm going to take it from there. But none of the, none of these things are magic cures, are they? I mean, don't forget when I started on HRT, I thought it wasn't working at all, and it took at least two months for it to to get the right dosage and for it actually to have an effect. So. And now look at you. <laughs> Look at me! You don't even know where my fan is. Fan who? I don't care. I don't have a fan anymore. It's mad, isn't it? Absolutely bonkers. I can't believe the journey yeah. I've gone on. But you know what? As well, this um, it it causes infertility. This, and I had IVF. I had unexplained infertility, and you know, I was thinking about it last week, and I was. I always think of my little boy as my miracle baby anyway, because I had one round of IVF on the NHS because I couldn't have afforded to pay for it otherwise. And there were two eggs that they put back. One was, well, they sort of talk about them being high quality or whatever. And they put two back, which they don't normally do, but because of my age, they were like, right, we need to give it his best shot. And so out of all of those odds, my little boy came. But if you just think, I've got this thing as well, I've got this condition as well, which affects my infertility, I'm like, Bloody, I was sat at my kitchen table last week just thinking, bloody hell, he really is a miracle. Oh. Yeah. What a beaut. Yeah. Is he an annoying little miracle? <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. They all have the moments, don't they? Bloody hell. Oh, he's gorgeous though, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, Terry, we missed you the other week. How are you getting on? Oh, honestly, I'm still not very well. I've been uh, poorly for what feels like months. I didn't have COVID, thankfully, but I've had a really, really bad chest infection. It just seems to have lingered and lingered and lingered. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's that's me, whinge over. But I, I saw, someone sent me something, I think it was yesterday, and it was like 30 days half September, April, June and November, all the rest of 31, except for January, which is for effing thousand. And I thought, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> it's like, this January just feels like... It's not It's not gone away. It's like, hurry up and go. It does feel a bit like that, doesn't it, really? How does anyone do dry January? I don't know. I've not tried. I've done about four days. <laughs> and go, yeah, listen, try doing dry life. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Well. There's another dryness we could mention here, but I'll, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> They're all nice. We couldn't get through yeah. an episode without her mentioning vaginal dryness. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say it. <laughs> And my, my other slight update on the HRT is that I finally spoke to another doctor at my GPs um, about another issue. And I said, oh, and whilst you're on, you know, it's very difficult to talk to GPs these days, isn't it? Whilst you're there, let me just bother you about this that's happening in my life. And I've got my private clinic to send me my prescription and my blood <gasps> test results. Yeah. And I have delivered them to my doctor Ooh. in the last couple of days. Progress. So now I just need to get, you know, the left hand to talk to the right hand. And hopefully he agreed in principle on the phone that, yes, I should be able to get it through, uh, through them and get it on prescription. Yay! Yeah. Yay. Brilliant, I mean, Emma. Although, as my private consultant was keen to point out, you can't get testosterone on the NHS. But I will get the estrogen and progesterone, which I think is the main thing that has changed my life. So, fingers crossed. That could happen next. Are you sure about that with the testosterone? Because I think you can. I think some people can. It's a postcode lottery and a GP lottery. Yeah, it's a postcode lottery for testosterone. That's the thing. That's the thing. And um, and actually, you know, maybe at some point we uh, we should speak to them in the future. But I follow these guys called Manchester Menopause Hive on Instagram and mm. they have they really bang this drum they have quite a campaign for like um, sorting out the testosterone you know the, the, the testosterone postcode lottery so you might want to give them a follow actually oh right okay doing that yes. Manchester Menopause Hive we always like to big up the Manchester Ma- Massive there you go the Massive excellent right that's the next campaign then yeah. make sure we, everyone gets testosterone or access to yeah, it should it they is. want it it is so coming up next, it's the A to Z of Perry and Menno. And Terry couldn't be there when we recorded that bit. It's a bit like musical chairs this episode, isn't it? Uh, but never fear, because you will hear Arteza chatting to Kate Muir, who will be up after that. Howdy, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So what's BetterHelp, Ems? Basically, it is online therapy. BetterHelp matches you to one of 32,000 licensed therapists based on your location and your preferences. And then you can access therapy from your laptop or even your phone. Helen, you've uh, been through therapy, right? Yeah. I was going through life not realising that all these horrible negative thoughts that were just like weighing down on me, that actually I could set myself free from them. Going to therapy has 
given me tools to work on those thoughts and realized that, you know what, I don't have to believe those thoughts. And now I'm like, is that really the case, Helen? Do you really, you know, and, and when things like that are going on, I now know that I need to go and do some yoga, meditation. And do you know what? None of that would have happened without me having therapy. I've just gone onto their website and straight away it asks you just several questions so that you get the right therapist for you. Then it asks you about your sexuality. So I put in that I was a lesbian. Straight away, the website asked me, did I want a therapist that specialised in LGBTQ plus advice? And I put yes, because that to me is really, really important. And I think that would be important for a lot of people, really. Awesome. To find out more about it and to get 10% off your first month, head to betterhelp.com slash effing hormones. That's betterhelp.com slash effing hormones. Time now for the A to Z of Perry and Menno. Uh, we are up to the letter J. Uh, not an easy one. So we asked for your suggestions on what to talk about on the Effin Hormones Facebook group. And look, if you want to join the conversation, just search Effin Hormones podcast in Facebook and we should come up. Don't forget, no G in Effin. Uh, Rachel said jowls, which Helen has got. So thank you for reminding me. It's okay. Um, and in fact, if you listen to episode three of FN Hormones, you will hear us talking to uh, the skin guru all about that. Adele suggested jaded and Jedi. I love this because uh, she thinks we need to be a little like Jedis to get through this. Mm. <laughs> May the force be with you. Yeah, not a bad <laughs> shout that. Sue Devaney got involved as well. Sue, of course, you remember, was our guest, also in episode three. And Sue said jabbering, because that's what her mind was doing when she was filled with perimenopausal anxiety. Gosh, we know about that, don't we? Uh, thankfully, though, she is on the right hormones now and has got that pretty much sorted. Alison suggested jokes and justify, as in justifying why it's so hard to get HRT. Tanya mm. suggested juggling. Nice, nice one, Tanya. Yeah. Uh, like that. Uh, Michelle, I love this, said jerks in sleep. Is that, is that a menopausal <laughs> thing? I didn't even know that was a menopausal so that, that, thing. That's not an annoying person in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> or in your dreams. <laughs> so thank you so much for all your suggestions. Katie suggested jobs, which is a brilliant suggestion, and I believe that's exactly what we are going to be talking about, isn't it, Helen? Yeah, thanks for that, Katie. I have gone for jobs this time. And um, just going to mention, actually, that Kate Muir, our guest on the, this episode, is going to talk about jobs a little bit because that's the, the next documentary that she's researching at the moment. She's looking at menopause and perimenopause in the workplace. I was interested in this, especially um, thinking back to last October when menopause was discussed in Parliament largely thanks to uh, the Welsh Labour MP, Carolyn Harris. Shout out to her. Thank you very much. Um, yep. She brought a private member's bill. And that was around actually trying to get rid of prescription charges for HRT. But they talked about um, menopause at work as well. Now, let's talk about the legals so you know where you stand when it comes to menopause in the workplace at the moment. OK, there's no legal requirement for employers to have a specific menopause policy or to protect employers from experiencing menopause symptoms. You look surprised there, Em. Um, yeah, but well, I shouldn't be, should I, really? No, I shouldn't be, really, no. but I'm, I'm horrified, no. yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, there's also no legal protection for businesses. So if their employees are taking loads of time off sick because of menopause, then the businesses aren't protected legally in any way either. So it does kind of go both ways. But what there is instead is the Equality Act 2010. That could cover menopause under what's called protected characteristics. Now, if you don't know what they are, they are aspects of you and your identity as defined by the Equality Act. And the protection bit relates to protection from discrimination. So for example, you've got age, sex and disability. Now, menopause could come under all three of those things, couldn't they? you know, depending on how badly it's affecting you. But there has been, and this was last October as well, there was some discussion in Parliament as to whether or not to make menopause its own protected characteristic, because at the moment it's not. So Carolyn Noakes is an MP. She's the chair of the Women and Equalities Committee. She said at the time that she wasn't ruling out calling for menopause to be its own specific protected characteristic but since then I can't see that anything's actually happened with that but you know 
it has been raised in Parliament. So I think that's quite interesting. Mm. It would be good to have something that's like a specific thing, wouldn't it? So that's the serious side of things. But I wanted to give a shout out to a few employers who publicly said they're going to support their menopausal employees. And again, this all happened last October. So James Timpson, who's the CEO of Timpson's. Oh, yeah. He's alleged. Yeah, that was a big thing, yeah. wasn't it? They're, so we, a, they're a brilliant they're, I mean, they are an amazing organisation, yeah. aren't they? I mean, yeah. they... they um, they employ ex-prisoners, don't they? They refer to all... Yeah. They, don't, they don't have employees, they have colleagues. I love that. Oh, everyone's, yeah. a, everyone's a colleague. But he tweeted that um, all colleagues can claim on expenses their prescription costs when they're recommended HRT. And he also said, it's so important that we support our colleagues going through the menopause. I was like, yes. Yes, Go James. James. Um, I mean, I wish, I, wish, I wish all employers could be James Timpson. I mean, he's just yeah. the best, isn't he, really? <laughs> it would be good. Or just yeah. as good as James Timpson. I mean, Do you reckon really we're going to get loads of free keys cut now and like, <laughs> like all, our, all our shoes resold from this big shout-out? Because that's what they Let's do, so. in case you didn't know. <laughs> um, I mean, as it turned out, actually, the government said they'd move to yearly prescriptions for HRT anyway. So, you know, people oh. on HRT are going to save a lot of money anyway. So that's you're not going to have to pay every three months or so. Yeah. So... Timpsons are probably aren't going to have to shell out as much as they might have said, you know, when when he did that tweet. But he didn't know that then. Anyway, no. um, so other employers who said they're going to support menopausal colleagues are ASOS. People can re- uh, request flexible working if they're struggling. Uh, there's a company called Diego that have released menopause guidelines. United Diego, Utilities, the alcohol company, drinks company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. United Utilities have a menopause policy, but I do want to champion Channel Four because they were the first employer to announce a menopause policy in 2019. There's going to be more than that. I haven't got a comprehensive list there. So if you're an employer or an employee who wants to champion the fact that your workplace has a menopause policy, then let us know, either by emailing us at the website, effinghormones.com, or find us on Facebook at effinghormones podcast. Tell us, and we'll give them a shout out. But my big question about this, okay, is... It can be difficult to get a diagnosis of menopause in the first place, right? So what happens if you are really ill and you're taking time off sick and no one knows what's going on with you, which was the case for me for many, many years. It's absolutely fantastic having a menopause policy and setting things out on paper saying we're going to support people in this way. But we've spent so much time talking to people who've been struggling to get an understanding from health professionals what do you do if you're in that grey area? That's my big question about it. I mean, I've well, there has to-, to be some parameters. I mean, obviously, you know, the law states after a certain period, you know, employers require a sick note mm. um, if it's, you know, prolonged periods of illnesses. So like with any illness, there's something obviously wrong. So you would imagine or hope that even without a, a diagnosis, but if there's a period of illness, that that can be covered in that. But also, I wonder if employee, employers would go a step further and rely on self-declaration, you mm, know, that's and, interesting. and take yeah. that as a, a thing. Particularly because, if you're a certain age, right? Yeah. But I just, think, I just think it's about trust, you know, employers trusting their employees and vice versa to have a dialogue about it rather than just go blanket rule across the board. Well, you know, when Carolyn Noakes was referring to it, uh, was referring to whether or not to to look at having a specific menopause uh, protected characteristic. She was talking about women who are having to go through to tribunal and were having to go under disability as a protected characteristic because menopause wasn't covered. So I suppose I'm more talking there about the more extreme end, really. Yeah. Um, that yeah. I mean, and that hope you know, hopefully that's the exception, not the rule for most people's experiences. And hopefully as the dialogue and the conversations are increasing and there's more noise being made about it, that people like James Timpson, you know, mm-hmm. employers and, and, and you know, hopefully female-led companies will be leading the charge on this particularly, or you'd hope. Um, We've just got to keep talking about it, raising awareness. Just got to keep talking about it. And I think the more know. people that talk about it, the, the more kind of people will move and shift their working, you know, patterns and, and what they expect from people to do that the thing is obviously i i've been self-employed for a number of years i was self-employed for a number of years ran own businesses and stuff mm. that's when you're really stuffed yeah <laughs> well, isn't you know, it just true, yeah. Yeah. yeah totally yeah. that's when you're really stuffed so yeah 
It's difficult, isn't it? But it was, it was interesting when we talked to the Gen M women um, last season, wasn't it? So it was really interesting what Sam was saying, that um, she was actually going to... Because she was going to change her job. She was even thinking she was of gonna resign. Your, she was going to resign. She was going to leave the organisation because she couldn't. She could not cope with her workload. She couldn't cope the same way she used to be able to. And was you know really at the top of her game, but thankfully did have an understanding boss and eventually worked out what was going on with her, and totally changed her role because of the menopause. Yeah, well, that was it. I mean, the boss, but the boss was the one who sat her down and said, "Right, come on, what's going on?" And basically created a new role for her. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. yeah, and how wonderful. So he sounds like another sort of John Timpson or um, James Timpson, doesn't he? So, so we need, yeah, we need... We need more of that, please. More, more of those like that, please. Thanks. Yes, yes. <laughs> OK, so that was jobs. Bina, have you gone for um, jerks in sleep or jelly thighs? Or... <laughs> <laughs> what um, have you gone for? I'm going for... This is going to sound a bit kumbaya, hold hands. Oh, yeah. uh, but I'm going to go for joy because oh. um, you need a bit of joy. And it might be as simple as just going for a walk or sitting down in some quiet and sticking on some music and having a cup of tea. What I've started to do just over the last month or so um, is do something not to have an end reason for it, not for a purpose, just for the sake of doing it. For example, I've just bought some watercolour paints and some pens and I used to paint and sketch and draw and stuff all the time and I haven't done it for years, years and years and years. And I don't do it for, like, I might sit down, I might only do it for 10 minutes. And it's not for show. It's not for anyone. It's just for me and to have a mess about. And I couldn't, when I started doing it, I was just like, I cannot remember the last time I did something that didn't have a reason behind it for a purpose. To do something for someone else or to do something for work or, do you know what I mean? Just for the sake of doing it. I love that. And I think that it doesn't, what I realise is, is that actually it doesn't take very long to to do that. It it can be anything, really. Because like even if you go, oh, well, I go running or I work out. Yeah, that's still for a purpose, isn't it? Mm. That's to keep yourself in shape. That's There's mm. a goal at the end of it. What I've found is a little bit of joy in having a goalless exercise. Does Love that make that. sense? Yeah, it makes perfect oh. sense. And it's done me so much good. Has Yay. it? I've picked up the guitar again. Terry actually restringed my guitar for me. I haven't Aww. played it. I haven't touched it for years. And she restrung, she restrung it for me and she got me a stand and she said, if it sits in its case, you're never going to play it. Oh, that's Put so it on nice. this stand. She should be here for this bit. Put it on mm. its stand and you'll play it. And she's right. It's sat there in the living room and I do just pick it up and play it now. And I haven't... So anyway, I would, I would say joy and it's just finding those little bits of joy. When your head's about to explode and you're trying to juggle... Five million things and kids and endless loads of washing and ironing and all of that kind of stuff. And oh, that's res- you know, resonating with me, Vina. <laughs> once you got that, if you can find even five minutes to do something that you know will bring you joy, I would. Do you know what's actually good for that, right? If you do have kids, right, and you are in that state, in that state of just constantly having something to do, Lego, Lego with yeah. your kids. I am not kidding, right? So you know, everyone bangs on about colouring in. And like for me, it's better. It's, it's like the colouring in because kids carry on with Lego for a long, long time. So, it, you know, you've got a few years. If you, if you have a baby, you have a few years. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. I'm so really chilled. C- calming, I love isn't it? it? Mm. Really? <laughs> Lego is great. Well, you, so, like, you have to I've slow built, down, don't I've you? I've built you a little shop. <laughs> <laughs> you have to slow down to do it. Yeah, I think that's fabulous. part of it, isn't it? You have to slow down. I love that. that. And do you know what it reminds me of as well? Do you remember when we interviewed Sue Devaney last season and she said, why are we always rushing around? Why can't we just have time where we just stop? Why are we always doing stuff? Why, why can't, we, why just can't, can't we just be? And I was like, yeah, yeah that really resonates with me as well. So love that. Yeah. similar, isn't it? Effing hormones. Making it okay to talk about by talking about it. Right, it's now time for our guest for this episode. And I'm so excited because she's one of the women behind that groundbreaking documentary that came out last year in the UK. You know, you definitely watched it. It got so many women like us over 40 talking. Hosted by Davina McCall, it was called Sex, Myths and the Menopause. The programme looked at the issues that we've been discussing in Effing Hormones too. Like, for example, access to HRT, the big lack of knowledge about menopause amongst health professionals and a reliance on antidepressants when it comes to prescribing. 
Kate is also on the board of the menopause charity, which is set up by Dr. Louise Newsom. You'll hear all about that in a bit. Um, and you'll also hear about Kate's book. It's called Everything You Needed to Know About the Menopause, But We're Too Frightened to Ask. So there is so much to talk about. Can I just say we are so excited that you're here with us, Kate. We feel very much part of this menopause revolution and we feel like you are our leader you are the leader of the revolution. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we're quite the children of the revolution, but I think we're like foot soldiers, aren't we? <laughs> I don't think anyone's the leader, actually. This is such a kind of mass movement and it's been so exciting. It really is everywhere you know you go, demonstrations, rallies, conversations, you know, what goes on on Instagram on a Sunday, the revolution is out there and, and it's kind of happening. And, you know, you set off a small fire and then lots and lots of people expand it. So, you know, I, I count so many women as, well, all of you, Davina McCall, Louise Newson, all these people as co-revolutionaries who are causing as much trouble as possible, and rightly so. Yes, we're, we're all ready for the revolution. Yes. <laughs> Did it surprise you at all, Kate? I mean, it was such a big moment when the documentary came out, and I know it was a very long time in the making and COVID got in the way of it, but did it surprise you the level of response that you got from that? Yeah, I was absolutely astonished because, it, you know, Channel 4, you know, why would they want to commission a programme on the menopause anyway? It was like, who would do that? Who would be interested? And we were kind of all sitting there praying all the night, and on the night it got a million viewers, but by the end of the week, it got 2 million viewers. And that's when you realised everyone had told their best friend. And then I don't know how many million it's got now, but it's still up there, been up there for months. Then I realised that this is in our lifeblood at this second, if we're 40-something and 50-something women, and we need to communicate this to one another. And in a way, the documentary was really hard to do in lockdown. There was lots we couldn't finish off. It was a real struggle just, you know, filming two meters away from everybody and mm. having all the separate vans and all the things you didn't see it was just a it was just a nightmare trying to edit things on zoom and but as it turned out you know it, it worked because i think it was destined to work i think it had to get out there almost like bursting some huge boil you know? and it, once it was out there then all this other stuff spawned from it and now we've just been commissioned to make a second one so I'm now researching menopause at work. I am gathering really? menopause at work stories or menopause not working at work stories. Well, there's a lot of stories about that, isn't there? there I mean, it's, it's terrifying, isn't it? What's the statistic? Well, Louise Newson's own research was out of the people she interviewed, one in eight people yeah. suffering menopause had actually left work. It's, it's, a, it's wow. an absolute shock, isn't it, really? Are you, are you, were you surprised when you, read, when you heard that, Kate? I wasn't because there's been quite a lot of surveys. That was a survey of Louise Newson's patients, about 3,000 of them. Mm. So therefore, they had really made a desperate attempt to seek out menopause care and probably HRT. So they were women at the end of their tether, quite a lot of them by the time they'd got through their GP and got to had to go private. So they'd all struggled. And But on the other hand, it, if it's not one in eight, then it's one in 10. And it really, really is happening out there. And what I've in my research so far, and I've just been talking to people on the, you know, on the phone and initial interviews, is that lots of people go part time and lots of people don't apply for promotion and they become consultants instead of executives. So that it doesn't look like there's a big disaster happening, but women are quietly sidelining themselves or being sidelined because they don't feel confident and there's brain fog. And I have tons and tons of stuff on the brain in my book and it's really quite scary no it really is <laughs> can, can we just go back to the beginning a little yes. bit um for you and talk about how you started on this journey and became you know part of this revolution wanted to start talking about it what, what was your own menopause journey uh well i will say it wasn't a car crash it was a full selma and louise disaster uh so <laughs> i um i mean i had a perimenopause from hell and, and i love that you if hormones track perimenopauses from hell, that's really good. I, you know, but anyway, I had heart palpitations. That was my first sort of symptom. Waking up in the night, thinking heart attack, going to die. Went to see my doctor, and they said, "Oh my God, you must go for an ECG." And they took me away and stuck lots of stickers on my chest and said, 
your heart's absolutely fine. And, and the runner, they said, you're having far too much coffee. So I've, I've had that experience, Kate. They didn't tell me I had too much oh, coffee, but I've had BPG as well. And it thousands and thousands of women. And um, once I did my research, I realized 11 to 15% of women have heart palpitations in perimenopause and perimenopause, perimenopause. Why didn't my doctor know that? So starting from that, I, I really had a bad time. I had hot flushes, but the thing that really crashed me was the memory. And I was a film critic at the time, at the time, so I had to remember 350 films a year. So I had to have this amazing memory and be really good at dealing with people in cinemas on stage and remember things on my feet. And then I was writing a shopping list at home and I thought, I must shave my legs. And I wrote down the word shaver and I couldn't write down the word razor and I couldn't remember the word for razor. And it had happened a couple of times, but that's when I actually saw that I couldn't remember a noun that I should know. It wasn't like forgetting a film director's name. And I was absolutely terrified and really, really upset. And my mum died of Alzheimer's in, in 2015. So I was very aware and she was a smart woman. She, she kept losing big nouns, you know, really, really useful nouns. She'd say that stone fence over there when she meant the wall, you know, cause she couldn't remember the word for wall. So I felt I was reliving my mom's life, total panic. And then also my hair started falling out. So vanity intervened as well as memory panic. And then I got private HRT because my doctor had not helped me on the NHS twice. And I went privately and I'm investigating the private clinics <laughs> that I went to now. And I later on ended up in a much safer position with uh, Louise Newson. And now I'm getting my HRT on the NHS. But the private clinics, lots and lots of the products there are unlicensed. And I think I was given unlicensed products. And I ended up with a cervical biopsy and a uterine biopsy because I was bleeding. Oh my God. So I had a whole year of chaos, just chaos. You know, I lose my memory. I get it back because I get this Porsche HLT that I pay 300 quid to go in and even meet the doctor, right? Then it yeah. all causes about a year, to, a year later, it causes all this bleeding because it's in the wrong amounts. It's not correctly prescribed. And then I've been through all this and I go, I go to Louise Newton, the, the god of menopause. Goddess yeah. of menopause. Oh, she's, she can be the leader. Yeah, then. she is absolutely fantastic. And anyway, my friend said, get off that private stuff. You don't know what's in it. Go off and go and get the real stuff that's regulated on the NHS and you can get it from Louise Newton. And so I went and saw Louise and I went straight from being patient to journalist because I once she handed me the stuff, I was like, great. And then she started telling me a story. And this is the story that really, really changed my life, which, and it's in the book as well. And it's not one we could have on the TV because the woman concerned was too traumatized by it, but she's agreed for me to talk about it without revealing her name. Um, and uh, she was a nursery teacher and she had incredible menopausal depression and anxiety in her 40s, perimenopause, was still getting her periods, dry vagina, awful urinary tract infections, your typical worst perimenopause nightmare. And she was constantly given antidepressants. And she got to the stage, she got completely agoraphobic, she couldn't leave the house. She didn't leave the house for seven years. She didn't walk her dog. She was beginning different antidepressants Christ. after different antidepressants. And she felt sort of suicidal at the point. And then she decided, this has to stop. I have to look up what is going on. I'm going to research everything on the internet. And she sort of dragged herself out of her chair and did this because she really beyond reached rock bottom. And um, during the period just before that, she was giving 12 sessions of electroshock therapy because they thought she wow. had uh she was bipolar and she was not and after she and the what the most extraordinary thing about this story is that she couldn't leave her house so they mortgaged their house and they rented an rv so they could drive in a van that she felt safe in that had a loo in it all the way to louise newson's surgery and she managed to go in by herself leave the van go into the surgery she got the HRT, wow. and seven days later, she walked her dog for the first time outside the house. Oh, my gosh. And, and for oh me, that story, I just, and you can't ECT, imagine, can and she described the ECT to me as well, and it's just, you know, thoughts going through your head and her fear and horror, and it was just, it was just so old-fashioned. It was like Victorian or 1950s. I just didn't think that sort of thing happened. And there it was, menopausal depression, completely wrongly, wrongly diagnosed. 
So I thought, I can't let that happen to anyone else. I am a journalist and I am very annoyed and I'm going to, whatever happens, bring this issue forward as much as I can and just start talking about it. Yeah, well, and it was partly your own journey as well. You'd gone through some horrific things because you hadn't been um, diagnosed early enough. And then do you think that the private clinic gave you the wrong type of HRT or the wrong dosage that, that caused this bleeding then? Was that the problem? Well, I'm investigating this, so I'll be able to come back to you on that later. But at the moment, I think it, the pharmacy is unlicensed and each batch is different. And I think one particular batch just tasted different. And I don't know whether it had different levels of hormones, but it's very important to have the right amount of progesterone to protect your womb. And I obviously didn't have the right amount of progesterone to protect my womb. Well, I'm just interested in talking about this because it, it sort of mirrors my journey a little bit in that I just gave up with doctors and two sets of doctors said to me, oh, no, you don't need HRT. Have, here's some antidepressants. So I went down the private route as well, mm. same as you. Spent £250 just have a consultation, then spent another 250 quid to get some um, cream, which I'm now on. But I'm on, I think, what you were on originally, the compounded yep. biodensity cream. I did. Cream. So that and that's what you were on that yeah, you had a problem with. That's what I have a problem. Might just be, might just be the way I absorbed that particular thing. I don't know, but I am investigating because I think there are lots of unlicensed clinics. People have to be licensed to give out hormones. You know, they're not they're like vitamins. You know, <laughs> that doesn't have the same regulations. Whereas at least with the NHS stuff, you know what it says in the bottle. It's usually what it says. I think I'd be happier getting it through the NHS, but I haven't got to that stage yet. But I'm still trying to get my clinic to talk to my GP, and it's been yeah. a very long process, really. But I have to say, I haven't had any awful side effects like you've had. I've had a bit of a rash occasionally, but I've actually, I feel like what I've been given has changed my life, and yeah. I've stopped having the hot flushes that have been the bane of my life no, for I five years. No, I completely agree. I, I mean, the minute I got it, you know, my memory came back, and it did make a huge difference just having hormones. But it's to make sure that you've got the right ones. And maybe as you change, you know, as you go from perimenopause to menopause, you need different levels and maybe they're not full, you know, who knows? I don't know. It's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> We're all on a journey, aren't we? And it's all so, indiv this so is individual. This is the problem that no no one knows. It's so difficult to find out and we're all on our own research journeys when yeah. really we should just be getting looked after, right? Picks and, you know, hormones are this great kind of rainbow difference and different in every single person. And the idea that you can hand out one pill and it will work for all women is completely wrong. And yeah. the sooner they start, you know, stopping medical sexism and researching that properly and finding out and letting women adjust what they want to do. Because now actually it's brilliant because I've got estrogel, which I can put on two pumps or three pumps a day. And if I have two pumps, I feel a hot flush popping through, I stick on the third. So I'm doing exactly what I want. And then I have testosterone in a, in a pink tube, Andrew Fenn. And I have a progesterone pill at night, which makes me sleepy. And I can have the right amounts of all of those and sort of change them myself. I think, oh, yeah, I, you know, it's going to be a busy day. We'll have a bit of testosterone. I don't actually, I use much less than you actually need. But, you know, it, you think, yeah, I'm in control of what I feel like. And I can make myself feel like I used to feel when I was like 45. And that's where I'd like to feel. I'm, I don't need to become some crazed person or change my skin or not age. But I'd like to have the steady feeling of being you know, before I went into perimenopause because I want to do my job and I want to help people and I want to, you know, look after my family. Well, that's it. We just want to be normal, don't we? <laughs> Whatever that is. But are you angry, though, that it's taken you so much research and so much dedication to get to the level where you are now and there's still so many people out there yeah. without the knowledge? I, I think it was actually, once I got into it and we were in lockdown and there was nothing else to do except research a book, and ring people in Wisconsin who were giving mice Alzheimer's and then testing estrogen on Alzheimer's in, you know, mouse brains. And once I got to that level of wow. forensic detail and interviewed people at Yale and Harvard and, you know, all around the world in Australia, I realized there's this huge story that is going to burst forth in the next few years. And it's a massive scientific story. And it's about long-term women's health and hormone. And I think you all know, you know, that menopause is a long-term hormonal deficiency. It's not something you pass through. It goes on for the rest of your life. And that women's health can be so improved by the right, safe hormones. And even women, the one in seven who get 
breast cancer and can't necessarily take hormones, there are other solutions for symptoms and other really fairly good medical and other solutions that aren't ridiculous and silly. And I think leaving the menopause untreated is bonkers and a piece of really, really grim medical sexism. I mean, it sounds to me like a lot of it's about education of women as well, which is, I guess, which drove the success of the of the documentary as well is, is that, I mean, you know, it was a documentary made for primetime TV. It didn't go into such depth that it bamboozled people. But even the little bit of knowledge that I think people got from that made, it's just made everyone go, oh, my God, I had no idea. Yep. I didn't know. And, and a lot of people, I mean, a reason, you know, a lot of people who've been in touch with us about the podcast as well is people who've literally sat, said things like, I've been sat here suffering yeah. in silence or I didn't know what was going on and it's good to not not feel alone. And I'm not going mad. I mean, for me, it's been, I'm, thank God, it, I thought I was going mad. And I think that what's really interesting is the thing you just said about Alzheimer's and estrogen. Is the study pointing towards the fact that estrogen depleting in people is is partly responsible for Alzheimer's or do you have any well, indication of what that study means? it turns out that nobody spent very much time researching on women's brains and Alzheimer's and they've mostly researched on male brains which will not be a surprise to me. Of course. <laughs> uh, but there is one woman, I've got her in my book who is this wonderful woman uh, in Arizona at the university there who has studied the health records of 400,000 women in America and it seems to be that the women who take HLT and particularly transdermal HLT, the gel or whatever, are much likely, less likely to get Alzheimer's. It seems to be 73% less likely. Now, that's not wow. because wow. estrogen stops Oof. Alzheimer's. It's basically Alzheimer's seems to attack when you have an unhealthy brain or you're not, you're not in good health. I mean, it, it seems to take advantage of a brain that's not quite working in the way it should you know i'm not a doctor so i'm just sort of reporting what what they're saying but it would it would seem to me that estrogen is a really protective in the brain and for people like me who probably have the alzheimer's gene because i'm a daughter of alzheimer's when i saw that estrogen had stopped my memory loss and i wasn't going to have continuing memory loss if I can hold that back for 20 years or 30 years i am absolutely delighted i do not want to live a life where i am worried memory all the time and I, yeah, well, I absolutely course. think yeah. it's in early stages I've got the papers listed in my book I've lots of footnotes in my book and <laughs> and, and I think it's <laughs> it really needs to be followed up I think it's a thrilling area of research what's happening to women's brains and how we can look after our brains I just wanted to talk about the book actually and I just want to just well and obviously you've read it but the the girls haven't necessarily read all of it but I love this <laughs> sentence at the beginning about why you wrote it and it's just really illuminating it said my full knowledge of the approaching menopause was this period stop full stop not a problem and whatever you do don't touch hormone replacement therapy <laughs> I was so wrong I wrote this book I love that quote <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That brilliant. <laughs> and I think it sums us all it sums us all up as well and there's so much in this book and a lot of it I haven't had a chance to read yet but I've read a lot of it. but what I want you to tell the girls about as really odd thing to pick out of the entire book probably but can you tell the girls about the orcas <laughs> <laughs> what a tease ever as in killer whales as in killer whales yeah, yeah they're killer whales they are the only other as far as they know the only other mammals that go through menopause and that once you get a granny orca um, and there's this woman called Darcy Stanker who's written a very very good book uh, about menopause, natural menopause, and the whales, and she follows the whales. But it would appear that the granny whale is the most sophisticated whale, the smartest whale. Feeds all the babies in the pod to the best sort of piles of salmon that are swimming ahead of them. And also, the babies tend to get less lost, and the whole pod works better together with a granny whale being part of the pod. So, I, interestingly, also I've read elsewhere. Um, that that it seems whales have a lot of testosterone as well, female whales. So very interesting what's going on with the whale hormones at the point of grannyhood. But certainly what they do is they're badass whales and they go out and they go out <laughs> and, <laughs> and that is what we must do, I think. We must have them in the pot 
um, and and I mean the other thing about doing this book and finding all this, I I've just never been in possession of so much good news in a way. All these stories are very sad, but the solutions are there immediately in mm-hmm. a week, within a day. There's ways of helping people, and you just think, oh my god, aging could be really different for women. And and one of my favorite people is is a woman I met in my street during lockdown, and I, I won't give her name, but she's 92. Um, and she studies Sanskrit uh, on Zoom wow. a lot, just super smart. And, and she's, she's a former medic. Uh, and, but she's also got um, incredible osteoporosis. So she's on a Zimmer frame, but she's almost bent at right angles to herself. She's always looking mm. at the floor. And it's actually easy to torture when you're standing on her stairs because you can look up into her face. And oh I realized God. that, you know, that, that's osteoporosis. Here's this genius woman who's 92. And she's sort of bent in half like a paperclip. And I keep thinking, what if we'd known 20 years ago that HRT stopped osteoporosis and helped rebuild bones? Why did we let people live like this? The second we knew that fact, why weren't we doing anything with it? And and, and then there's this great feeling of horror about the, the medical system. And I, I, I'm really kind of disturbed. By that, that, but, that would but, but women weren't talking to each other, were no. they? My mother never told me anything about the menopause. I don't remember people talking about it. Why? Why are we just suddenly talking about it now? Why has there been this wall of silence for yeah. generations? I don't know. It seems crazy, doesn't it? I mean, I've got, I've just got the theory that basically we're the generation that because I mean, I just talk from personal experience. My, I, throughout the whole time I was growing up, my mum would say to me, "You're going to be a career woman." You're going to get really, you're going to go to university. You're going to get a great education. You're going to have the choice. You're going to be a career woman. And, um, you know, when my mum was younger and she worked and she had more money than my dad in the sixties, for example, when she got pregnant, she went back to it. There was no job for her to go back to when you got pregnant, you didn't have a job. Right. So if you think about that monumental societal change that has happened in attitude, culture and everything, I think we're, you know, in my family, I am the first woman to be a career woman and to hit this point and to go, um, I'm, and this is the whole reason why I did the podcast. It's like, I'm not having women, women or anyone experiencing this, not feeling like they can't, that they can't talk about this because it's ridiculous because ultimately in my mind, what it boils down to women being valued solely on their ability to have children or not, mm. you know? Yeah. And so I just thought, right, if we just do this podcast and we talk about our bodily functions with everyone's so terrified of he- talking or hearing about, and we make it okay, then that's a chunk of it isn't it and I think and certainly my mum would never have talked about that, that, those kind of things to her friends or no. you know she's a sort of working class catholic good catholic girl you know what I mean um and that's no one's fault that's just what's happened in my mum's lifetime to my lifetime would she not brought up vaginal dryness the way Terry brings it up every week no well we don't sit around and have a cup of tea when I go and see her at the weekend and I, I don't casually discuss vaginal dryness <laughs> with my mum no <laughs> What about all of your mums? What did they tell you or not? Bugger all. My mum told me. To, my mum told me to get HRT. She's been telling me for about five years. You need HRT. You need HRT. And they try, her GP tried to take her off G, uh, off her HRT. And she's in her late sixties. And she was like over my cold dead body. You know, she won't let them because they're like you. You don't need to be on it anymore. And they keep doing reviews saying you don't need to be on it anymore. But you do need to be on it. You, if once you're on it, you can be on it for life. But uh, yeah, so so she's been pushing it for years. It's just the established medical thinking. This is why this is something we've always done. So this is why we do it. And I think at least now there's enough conversations going on where people will GPs and you know practitioners will hopefully be a bit more critical of what they're just being told, particularly male GPs. I'm really hoping that more male GPs will go out and realise that they. I mean, lots of GPs, male or female don't perhaps have the knowledge they should because so little about it's taught at med school or whatever and you know all the stuff that was highlighted in the documentary about how shockingly few doctors actually elect to do that um but i'm hopeful hopefully it means that more more gps will stop doing the whole well yes you're now 55 you 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 must come off hrt or however old people tend to be taken off it are um but my my mum i mean i'm peri i'm 40 but i'm perimenopausal officially now i've been for about three years or so, had various symptoms going on. But when I went to the GP, who's a lovely, lovely guy, his first comment, I said, you know, there's this early history of menopause in my family. He said, oh, I'm not sure we can take familial history into account. And I went, if I had 
if I said my mum had breast cancer, you'd have me straight down. You'd have me straight down for a scan, which is amazing. But but why why do we not look at familial history when it comes to menopause? And he didn't really have an answer for me. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, nice enough guy, but um, thankfully I ended up switching to a female GP and I progressed much faster uh, with ever what was going on. But I just was like, what a strange thing to say. I just thought it was bonkers. Kate, let's go back to the book. What do you think is the most surprising thing you found when doing all your research and speaking to all these amazing people in Wisconsin or your own street? (laughs) Yeah, um, I think what I discovered was that, you know, it's like the anti-aging elixir of HRT, which I was astonished because the word anti-aging we hate and we were happy about aging. But in fact, in terms of your body and your internal organs, the idea that you could take something that was not going to let you disintegrate as fast as you would disintegrate was huge for me. And when I realized about long-term health consequences of HRT, and a report has just come out to say women on HRT live nine years longer than those who are not on it. That is huge for me. And I know women who take HRT are what? usually informed on the whole. Wow. A lot of middle-class women, they are people, women who go out and fight for themselves. Even with that, living nine years longer is very interesting to me. And when I found out about you know HRT really, really making a difference to cardiovascular disease because most women do not die of breast cancer, right? They die of cardiovascular diseases and then they die of Alzheimer's. They're, they're the killers, cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's. Um, and when I realized about, you know, cardiovascular disease really, really, really being lowered by transdermal estrogen and the diabetes and sort of colon cancer and, you know, affecting fibromyalgia and all these other things. And then realizing that if it's doing this to the body, what on earth is it doing in the brain? Um, and I interviewed a woman who's written a great book, which you guys may have read. Uh, it's The XX Brain uh, by Lisa Moscone in New York. And that is very interesting, all on what is going on with hormones in your brain. And she's just done some brand new research uh, in nature, which I covered in the book. Um, so for me, the book's most emotional and most important bit, in a way, was talking about, and I talk about my own mother's Alzheimer's in the night, I really realized she had it in the book and what the possibilities are for, I think, my daughter and the possibilities of her not necessarily going down that route. And um, I think that was the most important thing for me to understand that we have this amazing, we're really lucky to be the generation that had this amazing tool to change our lives and our health. And those of us who use it who are lucky enough to be able to get it can really make a difference and you know lead you know wonderful second halves of lives as well and that's not to say that the women who sail through menopause or say they do you know should take it i mean there's lots of people who don't want it and get on perfectly well without it but for people like me i i you know i i feel really really blessed to have discovered that you know, we are lucky and we can do something about a lot of these uh, long-term diseases. Are you optimistic then about the future of women's health? You mean in Britain? You mean around the world? I mean... Oh, well, good question, actually. Yes, there's a definite difference, isn't there, even within the UK in terms of Um, the haves and the have-nots. You know, what's interesting is when you talk to other countries, you realise how lucky we are to have the NHS, even in its kind of slightly wobbly form, and that we are a country that is giving free... HRT and help in menopause of all other kinds to women. And you talk in America, I'm doing a second book version of this book in America. And I'm talking, and you know, there are 50 million people without insurance. And, you know, menopause isn't covered on most insurance policies. And people are getting lots of rubbish privately. And the conversation isn't there. And in, you know, certain countries, it's illegal to prescribe HRT, certain Muslim countries. So those are there. It, there is a massive health divide on this. And one of the things that I really, really care about and we're going to be talking about in the programme within Britain, because you could only start where you, where you are kind of thing, is that there is this postcode glossary that all the people getting the best HRT, mm. the lovely plant-based yam, transdermal, you know, nice HRT that I know, are mostly in the south of England. And uh, if you go to Scotland, I'm sure you've heard this before, the formula is in Scotland, in Newcastle, are giving out the old combined pill, which still has a small risk of cancer. 
why are we giving people Scotland a little pill that gives them cancer and down in London we're giving them the nice gel so they have a much lower risk to be care? I mean, that's what makes me so angry. And if we can level up, as Boris would say, mm. and make sure that that does not happen from the beginning of this movement, that it is about equality and about inclusiveness and about, you know, non-binary people and, you know, trans men, and it, it opens this Absolutely. conversation and we look into what happens to black women and they're much less likely to, you know, there's every bit of this needs to be included. And I think because we are who we are and we're the mm. generation that we are, I think we'll be very good at including everybody because we've started thinking about it. I mean, it may look like a white women's movement right now, mostly, but yeah. it, 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 we, you know, if we can talk about that and, and bring people in and, and also listen to what other communities are saying, I think that's really important to go out there and listen to their version of the menopause. And, and, and I think the most powerful thing is stories and that we all tell our stories from different communities and different places and don't let it become this kind of superwoman thing. And, and that it's, it's about equality and access. I think, I think that's I, what we're all about, for sure. Is that why you got involved in the menopause charity as well then, Kate? Because you wanted to see... Um, well, I'm, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Dr Louise Newson. <laughs> I do a lot of work to help her and she is just fantastic. Um, and she, she just said, we're setting up a charity. We'll all be on Zoom. On we go. And we all got on Zoom and we all gave ourselves jobs because there was no money. And there was like, so I ended up doing the kind of press and posters and because I could, that was where my skills lay and other people did other things in fundraising. And we just did it on nothing at all. And it has almost no money still. Um, and it also doesn't want to take money that's compromising. Like it will not take money from pharma. It will not take money from weird menopause remedies. So in a sense, it has to work on a real shoestring, but it's it's a clean, honest, you know, really, really caring charity. And almost I think it would be great if it was almost financed by women in small amounts. I mean, I try to give like 10% if I give a talk or something and I get paid for it. I try to think, right, I'll give 10% of the fee to the charity. And, you know, but you, you can't always afford to do that. And But it's doing a great job. And the brilliant thing the charity did was and it didn't really cost that much to do was we did and i know you've mentioned it on the program before the doctor's training scheme which was that sort of 10 12 hour online uh professional education scheme that was run by 14 fish which do gps for their education so it was super legitimate and uh by the time by now i think sixteen thousand gps and healthcare that's brilliant that's the best thing ever if you think come on that's just incredible but you think every one of them has seen 100 patients since then and 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 you just see that pile of sort of tentacles of that conversation going out and they can all prescribe hrt and they talk to their colleagues and i think that's actually you know tackling it right there at the root was the best thing we could have possibly done you know I'm going to go straight off this call and donate to this charity. Go on, Terry. I was going to say, why, why didn't the Department of Health pay for that? Because it's training GPs, isn't it? Uh, oh, this is a big sticky one. We, uh, I believe I hear from sources that, that a similar course was offered to the RCGP and they turned it down because they wanted to do their own, but they haven't done it. So they have wow. a not great response to and it's just not that impressive. Um, so... The unwilling we'll send them the bill. <laughs> <laughs> it really is dealing with institutions that really move incredibly slowly, and that's not to say that the NHS is not going to move on menopause because it is. There's big committees, plans to make changes. There's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. Lots of people working very, very hard behind the scenes to make changes. Uh, it moves like a slug. Where, where next then, Kate? What are you going to do next with with the whole revolution? Well, we're going to do the Menopause at Work Revolution with Davina. Um, so that is going to be next year. And I'm going to do an American book because with an American doctor right there as a sort of collaborator because I need to understand the American system. And then I'm going to do a book about what happens in a much more emotional and connective way in midlife. So I don't know. I'm maybe going to go to Wild Women Retreats and take psychedelic drugs. I don't quite know. I think, Can we come? I think it's not just about the medical science stuff which I've done. I want to do a book about kind of us and women's experiences and how we change 
And I changed into a different person over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've met a lot of people who've had a similar change. I'm really interested in why we do it and the stuff we throw away that we don't need at that period of time and that we decide that, you know, this is who we are. Uh, so I don't really know what that book's called yet, wow. but I'm working on it. That sounds great. We need to put that out to a Twitter, Twitter poll, don't we? Um, <laughs> I want to go on a psychedelic retreat and take mushrooms. That's what you said to me in the very first episode, Terry, when I said I was like yogi, I was a yogini. Non yeah, I feel, I feel a, yeah, a, an outside broadcast coming on though, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll find a field in Wales somewhere. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> right, time now to put you through your paces, Kate, if that's all right. And we're going to play a little game of Perry Trumps with you. This is where um, we have our score sheet. Please go to effinghormones.com to play along at home. Uh, it's the game that nobody wants to win though. Get certain points depending on how unusual your symptoms are. What did you get, Kate? I got 24, which I'm quite pleased with. I was particularly good on itchy parts of the body, I felt. Another <laughs> <laughs> thing I thought, rage is only one, but I suppose we all get so angry, it doesn't, you don't get very many points for that. Panic attacks, I was quite pleased with that. Yeah, so they did that, and sleep, yeah. That's probably the only time you'd be pleased about panic attacks, really. Wouldn't <laughs> yeah, I got points. <laughs> <laughs> 24, I think that's uh, fairly low. That's the lowest. Fairly low. Fairly low, yeah. Good. It's only according to like how rare they are rather than like how many you've got. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So it's time for the Effins, the Oscars of. Yes, it is time for the Effins. Get your champagne out, put your best frock on, and it's time for you to award <laughs> an Effin, way better than an Oscar, to someone you think to be really, you know, given credit for helping maybe yourself or, or maybe people you know through the menopause. Well, I'm afraid I have to give two. I'm going to split the award because I just have to. Obviously, I'm going to give half Nina for getting right out there, starting at zero, and just being willing to basically take off her clothes in public. <laughs> and, you know, really courageously, we started slow, and she ended up sort of making videos of herself sticking patches on herself. She was she has really, really taken up the challenge, and I'm, I'm just so moved by what she's done. Yeah. And... and you know, I, I, it works really hard, does it? Answers sort of people's Twitter inquiries at midnight. You know, she really cares. So that's that's amazing. Brilliant. And um, the other person is, of course, Dr. Louise Newson, who taught me everything I know about mm. the complex medical papers I had to read for this book and would often send me something from the North American Menopause Society at midnight. It's a new paper. Oh, God. Oh, my God, I'm really excited. I will read that. And... Uh, so it was really exciting to be a person who used words that suddenly had to deal with science. And Louise, you know, she's done so much for the menopause movement. She mm. has really, really, really changed it and has never moved from her evidence-based knowledge. So she is such a reliable heroine, I think, in all this. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. I can't believe we've got to season two before she's got one. Yeah. We're, we've mentioned it in every single yeah. episode. Yes. So a big round of applause. Woo! Well done, Dr. Louise. Oh, amazing. Um, and last but not least, you get to pick a tune for our kick-ass Spotify playlist. Something to go with your menopausal rage or maybe something to soothe you if you're having a hot flush in the middle of the night. What track have you gone for, Kate? Uh, country and Western. New genre. Are you ready for the title? Yeah. Did I shave my legs for this? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm going to look it up now. Yes. <laughs> That's the business. Deanna Who's that by? It is a very good song. Yeah. Do you know, if you just told us the song title and then said, guess the genre, I totally would have gone country. They just have the best song titles. They have the best song titles, <laughs> country and western singers. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. That is awesome. And Love it opens that. up a whole new Love avenue that. on Amazing. the uh, playlist. Thank you so, so much. Because, you know, we, we, we all came together in sort of April and we started very seriously talking about doing this. And, um, and honestly, the difference from when the documentary went out it's, it's been astonishing and it's been so joyous to watch, to be honest with you, because one of the one of the most joyous things that I spotted with all these uh, Facebook groups that were on it is the amount of women saying I sat down with my partner and they watched it together and we both cried and they understood 
and that's so such a big deal isn't it you know amazing yeah. thank you and all the women who were in it i mean there were some fantastic women oh my gosh yeah. yeah amazing well <laughs> big round of applause yeah. well that's it for this episode of effing hormones wasn't kate brilliant just so inspiring i cannot wait to see the next documentary I do have to say here that we did record the interview before Christmas, so bear in mind that figure that she gave you, the 16,000 GPs and health professionals who have finally taken up that online course about menopause, well, that will be even higher now. Isn't it brilliant? A big bravo and whoop to everybody involved in that. Remember, you can join the conversation either by emailing us through our website at effinhormones.com or on our Facebook group. Just search Effin Hormones Podcast in Facebook and we should come up. Don't forget, no G on Effin. And also, don't forget, please rate, review and follow. And if you listen on Spotify, newish news, you can rate us on that as well now. Just make sure you update your app so it gives you the option to give us a certain amount of stars. The maximum is what we're asking for, obviously. Thank you so, so much. See you soon. Bye.